So in thinking about Vesak, I thought today I would just talk about death and dying because that's what the Buddha did on the full moon day of May. And maybe give us some insights and reflections on our own life and death and, and how we might prepare for it or not. And what it means to a Buddhist to die. Because it means something different to a Christian, a Jew, and a Muslim to die. So, in my reflections on death and dying, I thought to myself, what part of me is the most scared about dying? What part of me is the most scared about dying? So I asked my left foot. I said, are you really scared that you're going to die? And my left foot didn't say anything. And then I looked at my knees and my elbows, and, you know, none of them seemed to even know they were alive, let alone that they were going to die. So the conclusion I came to is my ego was the most afraid of my death because it means that when that happens, the ego fails. And the ego hasn't failed yet. After 70 years of existence on this life, it has led me always towards life and away from death. Though sometimes I would wrestle with them and think to myself, well, wouldn't it be fun to almost die? Wouldn't that be like a thrilling adventure, like maybe, you know, jumping off a bridge tied, you know, to big rubber bands, you know? And then you just bounce around before you hit the water and you go, wow, look at I'm so alive. But thankfully, my ego was smart enough not to even put me in that situation. But it did allow me to ride a motorcycle for 20 years and have a wonderful time. And, and, and death was just, you know, a bad choice away. So, uh, and thankfully, after 20 years, that didn't happen. So now... Um, NPR, National Public Radio, has my motorcycle, and they sold it and made some money, and it continues. And now they want more money from me, and I go, well, motorcycle was good enough. So the thing is, the ego is afraid to die. Okay, so, so what does death really mean, and is there a way to practice dying? And, and there is. If anybody wants to practice dying, we're open Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday for death practice. Now, <laughs> We call it meditation, but, but the idea of meditation is what you're doing is you're letting go of everything for 20 minutes, and the idea of death is you're letting go of everything forever. So in little 20-minute increments or hour increments, you sort of get the feeling of letting go. How does it feel to let go of all the stuff you're supposed to do, supposed to think about, you know, and, and is it okay? Is it safe? to let go of all that stuff for 20 minutes and not have it be the burden. And actually, if you meditate on a consistent basis, you realize that you prefer letting go of all that stuff rather than holding on to it all the time. Because there's so many things to think about and do. And now in California, if you are a driver, you need to get the real ID so you can go on planes and into federal buildings. Well, I don't remember the last time I was in a federal building, but I guess it's important to be able to go into one. And plane flight, I'm something I'm going to avoid for the rest of my life, so, but I have the real ID. And, and it's got a little star in it, which means that I am now an official citizen of the United States. And as they took my picture for the real ID, they gave me uh, a glimpse at how it turned out. And I 
I really wish they had Photoshop, <laughs> you know, because it would have been so much better if they did. And, and then the guy looks at me with a straight face and says, this is the real you. Real ID, real you. I didn't even smile. I was not in that mood. But he was having a good time with my picture. So can we let that go? Can we let go of having to think about doing it or getting it or where's my birth certificate? Can we let go of that just for a little while? And all the stuff we're supposed to do today, like lunch. You know, most of us will have lunch today, and it is Cinco de Mayo. So tacos and salsa, you know, it sounds like a pretty good lunch to me. But that's something we carry with us then until lunch occurs as we think about it. And what are we going to do and how much is it going to cost and where do I want to go and is there going to be traffic and will I find parking and man, just for lunch and maybe I'll just fast today and keep it simple. And, and, and so we have even going out to lunch is a burden to think about, let alone your bank account, your stock options, if you have any, all the other stuff that makes our life what it is today. Can we just let go of that for 20 minutes or an hour here at IBMC, Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday? But not tonight. Tonight we're not going to have death practice. It's been canceled. So I thought about that. So what dies? My ego. Uh, What is death? It's letting go of everything forever. What kind of practice can I do? I can meditate and practice letting go of everything for a short period of time to see if it feels right. And then when I find myself in the hospital or hospice or the front seat of a car after a head-on collision, will I be able to let go, you know? And, and so another consideration is, will Buddhism help us as we let go? And Buddhism is designed for one thing, it's to relieve suffering. So the idea is to have two people present. To have one Buddhist guy or gal helping us let go of stuff and have a doctor injecting us with stuff. So we don't have the pain and we don't have the suffering. I don't know if doctors are real good at suffering. I don't know if Buddhists are real good at getting rid of pain. But together, what a great combination to have next to your bed as you're about to transform yourself into something brand new. Never seen on this planet before or all the other realms of existence. Which leads us to say to ourselves, well, what migrates lifetime to lifetime? Maybe it's the soul. Wrong. Buddhism doesn't have a soul. And it drives people nuts, because everybody wants to have a soul. It's an important consideration. It's something that we think has been with us since the beginning, and what would be going, it would be my soul. You know, but I'm no longer a Lutheran or a Christian, so what would be going? It would be my karma. My karma migrates lifetime to lifetime to lifetime until finally I figure out how to achieve nirvana, and then that ends my karma and therefore ends all future rebirth. I'll never have to be reborn again. And that is really good news for a Buddhist, because every time we're born, we suffer, and we die, because it's birth, existence, death, 
birth, existence, death. And not only do we die, but everybody we know dies. And not only that, every pet we've ever had, it dies too. And we just keep crying and crying and filling up glasses with tears and eventually ponds with tears. And eventually the great oceans are simply filled with tears from all the past lives we've lived and all the things we've had to let go of. Wow, bummer. So not being born is really a positive thing. But it doesn't mean we won't exist. We will exist, but in a very unique Buddhist way. And I'll get to that. But before we achieve nirvana, we have many lifetimes to go through, and we have options. And so I'm going to share some of those options with you and tell you how to either avoid them or to achieve them. Number one, the first option, the best option, heaven, Buddhist heaven. It's probably a lot like Christian heaven, but maybe you won't recognize everybody. And the thing about Buddhist heaven that's different from Christian heaven is Buddhist heaven is temporary. It's a very long temporary, like a hundred thousand lifetimes temporary. So it seems like it's going to go on forever. But one day when you're in Buddhist heaven, somebody's going to come up to you and say, your karma is used up. You have to leave. (laughs) And you're going to be so disappointed. You're going to cry for the first time in heaven because now you have to leave this perfect place and go down the ladder of existence rather than up. So the first heaven, the first heaven is really good. We all want to go there. How do we get there? We don't get there by petitioning. We don't get there by grace. We don't get there by believing something. We get there by doing good stuff and thinking good stuff and speaking good stuff. That's how we go to heaven. We become good people. So, what we think, what we say, what we do gets us into the best heaven. Now, there's another heaven that's not as good. It has desire and craving attached to it. This is sort of the businessman's heaven. That if you had one more building or a couple more wives, you would have a perfect heaven. But they don't let you have the next building or the couple more wives. And you have this sort of incompleteness, this desire that really isn't fulfilled. And you're a little disappointed. But it's still better than hell, and it's still better than the human realm. It's just not a perfect heaven like the first heaven. But in this imperfect heaven, you have to leave as well. That's one day somebody's going to come to you and say, you know what? Your karma wore out. Your karma account is empty. You've got to go make some more karma. And you can't make karma in heaven because it's too perfect and there's nothing you can do to make it better. You know? And if you go to hell, there's nothing you can do because it's so terrible. All you can think about is your suffering and more suffering and when do I get to leave? So the next realm of existence is where you create your karma account and you start filling it up and that is the human realm of existence. And for some reason, in all our lives, all the people sitting here had enough good karma to be reborn as a human being. Now when you look at it, you might not think 
at first that it's really a positive thing to be reborn as a human being. Because there are a lot of people who don't have a place to live or have food to eat or water to drink. There's a lot of people with terminal cancer. There's a lot of people who are going to go into car accidents today and maybe not come out alive. And you go, man, it is really hard to be a human being. Yes, there's enough pain and suffering in the human realm to keep us honest. We can't relax too much. We can't just say this is the best place I'm ever going to be because it's not. But it's not the most terrible place you're ever going to be either. It's not the hell realm. So it's right in between. And this is the only place that has the Dharma. This is the only place you can transform yourself into a better person and have a karma account and spend it on your next rebirth. So the human realm is where we all want to be and here we are, but what are we doing with it? That's the question. Are you taking it seriously to be a human being? Are you working hard on your karma account? Are you making those deposits? Are you ready for your rebirth? Do you know how you want to spend it? Things to think about. Now we come to the first hell realm. Whoa, man. And this hell realm is, is often depicted as having these, these creatures, these animals, these cats and these dogs and these antelopes and these elephants. And that's the first hell realm. And if you're like me, you like animals and you have pets and you feed them every day. And it's such a wonderful relationship to have with these animals, but they're not human. And they're often depicted as, number one, wanting to sleep all the time. Number two, wanting to eat all the time. Number three, wanting to have sex all the time. And number four, wanting to be not as confused as they are. Now, when I thought about that, description, I thought about me in high school. And I'm going, that pretty much nailed it. You know? Just confused and wanting to eat all the time. And, and so the animal realm is something we can work with to give them better rebirths. It is said if they see a statue of the Buddha, it plants a seed. If they hear a Dharma talk, it plants a seed. If they smell incense burning in the zendo, it plants a seed. And this seed takes root. And in their next lifetime, they will come back as a human being and have a chance to work on their own karma. So all the little animals that we have living around here has, have heard Dharma talks. Some have come in and looked at the Buddha. Some have smelled the incense. The seeds are planted. And we're hoping one or two of them come back as residents and pay rent. <laughs> it might occur. <laughs> so now we've got the second hell realm, which is usually depicted as this giant creature about 15 feet tall. And they have a little pinhole for a mouth. And no matter how hungry they are and how much food they put to the little pinhole mouth, it never satisfies them. Their belly is always empty. And they're always hungry. And if you've ever been hungry, you know how that feels. It's terrible. And all you can think about is food, any kind of food. So you'll be able to get rid of the hunger. 
So that's a hell realm we don't want to go to for sure. And then the worst hell realm of all is the place where you go and you take the visible body you have now with you and you're just sort of living like you are now on earth and then all of a sudden you're in MacArthur Park and the leaves turn on the razor blades and they fall off the tree and they cut you into a million pieces and you scream and yell and right on the spot you're resurrected again so you can die another time and another time and finally all the deaths that you experience purifies the karma that puts you there and you become free from that hell realm and you get to go up to the next hell realms. Now in the West when you hear these stories you say, nah, I don't believe it, it's a bunch of stuff, you know? I don't think that's the case. The West has psychology and psychiatry and mindfulness meditation. And we know that those are just ideas. And sometimes it's hard to see inside. It's much easier to see outside. So we have created places where we go, but really those outside places might be inside places that we visit depending on how we're doing that day. And I have seen people in the hell realm walking around New Hampshire Avenue and I'm going, man, yeah. And then there's somebody in the heaven realm and a smile and a light step and life is good and it's spring. Seen that too. So maybe it's psychological. Maybe it's actually a physical place. Depends which direction you want to go in. But in both cases, we're in charge of where we're being reborn because it's our karma that's being reborn. So if we're doing good things and helping people and reducing their suffering, we're going to have a better day and we're going to have a better death. And if we're a bunch of jerks and we don't care about people, and I tell you, it's getting harder to care about people because there's so many people that have so many problems all the time. I'm thinking... 50,000 homeless people. How do you care about 50,000 people? You know, it's just, it's like, it's a number that's unfathomable. And yet, if you're one-on-one, there's a relationship. If it's one on 50,000, not much of a relationship. So it requires us to, to perhaps commit ourselves or to be proactive in consistently caring about the people and animals who aren't having a good life and doing what we can to make their life better. And for a Buddhist, making a life better is simply reducing the suffering of those who are suffering. It's not buying them a house or a new car or giving them $50 for lunch. If they're hungry, maybe we can feed them. If they're homeless, maybe we can suggest a shelter. But it's, if they're suffering, that's when we sort of come into their life. If they're not suffering, we don't have much to say. The last wedding I did, I didn't have a whole lot to say because everybody was so happy. What am I going to say? Life is sucks. Pretty soon you'll be divorced. Give me a call. <laughs> what am I going to say? So I, I silently ate the food, enjoyed myself, wished everybody a good day, and off I went, you know? 
So it's like that. So Buddhists are very specific in what they need to do and what they need not to do. You know? And so I was talking to my sister just the other day. She's having some financial problems and she's not quite sure what direction to go in. And, and she's older now. And when you're older, it's hard to just go out and get a job and, and solve your financial problems with a new job. And, and I said to her, well, you know, there's two things you can do. Number one, you can make more money. Number two, you can have a simpler lifestyle. And renunciation isn't something that comes to mind right away when people are having financial problems. You know? But if you really want to be rich, just need as little as you, as you can. And then it doesn't matter how much money you have. So does everybody here have enough? If you have enough, you're doing great. You know? If you're not quite there yet, there's stuff we can do. But keep in mind that no matter how much money you make, how successful you are, what a wonderful car you drive, one day you'll be dead. (laughs) And it won't matter. (laughs) So don't get too attached. Okay, so now we're working on this, and, and we have to say, okay, so what migrates to the next human or the next realm of existence it would be the karma so we take care of our karma and then when we're dying what i think we need to do is we need to really focus on what's important you know and i i went to the va to help one of the people that used to come here to meditate to talk to him and he had the tv on you know which is something you you might do before you die you know uh, and i said you know maybe you should turn off the tv well, what am I going to listen to? You know? So I brought him a little cassette tape of Buddhist chanting. And, and I said, this is good to listen to. You know? this, this will help you feel relaxed in your process of transformation. And then, because he had face stuff going on, uh, one of the nurses asked me to bring a picture of him when he was younger. So the nurses could relate to him as that person he used to be and not the person he is today. And I thought, that's really an interesting idea, you know? That, that sometimes, depending on how a person looks, it can be difficult to be open and sensitive and, and caring. Then, I think one of the most important things you can do is, is, is have your good day book. Is to get a journal. It doesn't have to be thick, just a little one. And, and every day, you write one good thing that happened to you, or one good thing that you did to make a difference in the world. And it could just be giving a quarter, or picking up dog poops so and nobody stepped in it. It doesn't have to be big stuff. It can be little practical stuff. And then, as you're on your bed, and you're starting to transform into your next lifetime, somebody reads to you from your good day book and goes page by page and all the things you've done to keep you from thinking of all the things you didn't do or shouldn't have done. You know, and I find as I get older, it's easier to have regret than it is to have forethought. It's just easier to say, I wish I hadn't said that 24 years ago because I'm sure that person still remembers what I said and how they felt about me. Well, you know, after 24 years, you're probably giving yourself too much credit. (laughs) They probably completely forgot what you said and could care less anyway because that person you said it to died a long time ago and the person that said it died a long time ago. 
you are reborn every day and every moment. And it's just like, okay, who am I dealing with today? You know, and, and sometimes when you're dealing with yourself today, you say, maybe I should start with a shower because the person that I am today doesn't smell very good. <laughs> so you take a shower. And then you might say, wow, maybe golf's on TV. I could watch that. Or maybe I could go in the backyard, pet a cat, and read a book. And so the choices we make day after day defines who we are that day, in that moment. And then we continue. And we continue to be reborn. And the thing I like best about this model is that it is always the first time. No matter what you're doing, you should be surprised and engaged because you've never done this before. Even though it feels familiar, and you may think to yourself, you had done it a thousand times before, it is really always the first time you've done it. And now in this rebirth process, it seems like the first time. Ironically, it's probably an infinite amount of rebirths. You know, and you go, wow, it feels like the first time I've ever died. No, it just feels that way. You've died a lot of times in a lot of different ways. And the reflection I had the other day was, you know what? Even if we're all in an airplane and it's crashing and we've got like 10 seconds to live, each person in that airplane is going to die their own way. No two people die the same way. I'm going, wow, what a unique opportunity to die my way, you know? And some may scream and some may yell, but some may recite the Lotus Sutra or the Heart Sutra or the Loving Kindness Sutra. And they say in Buddhism, your last thought in this lifetime is the first thought in the next lifetime. So if you have been practicing, if you have been memorizing, if you have been reciting, that thought should instantly arise in your mind. Because now, after all those months or years of practice, it has become important to do it one more time. And if you're lucky enough to do it one more time, the next rebirth is going to be even better than this rebirth, even if it's in the human realm. So rather than being reborn in Pacoima, you might get reborn in Palos Verdes just because you had a good last thought. <laughs> anyway, having said that, may we be well, may we prosper, and may we die skillfully. Thank you for listening.